Father, what a joy it is to gather in your name, to come together, to learn, to sit at your feet, to listen to the Holy Spirit. And we know, Lord, even as we read from Scripture, that when we read the Word of God, when we declare the Word of God, that is an act of worship in itself. Because it is to proclaim Jesus, it is to proclaim your grace, your mercy, your love, everything about you, because Scripture testifies about who Jesus is. And so, Lord, the same prayer I pray all the time. Jesus, be revealed in our midst. Holy Spirit, be the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Jesus. And so be with me, Lord, and be with my brothers and sisters. We bless you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, it is said that breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Anyone agree with me? Yeah? And I don't know what you have for breakfast. I just chose a nice local traditional breakfast to entice you. If you are hungry, uh, this would be very appealing. This is something that I enjoy all the time. Now, speaking of breakfast, I remember always that when we go for church camps, and I know all of you are seasoned church campers, breakfast is usually the most crowded time because different groups staying at the location will come together, right? And so there's a buffet breakfast that is there, and usually the egg station will be the most crowded, right? It has the longest queue. And I joke always to say I should wear a t-shirt that says behind, do not line up behind me. Because when the children were young, you know, and they were not able to get their own eggs, I would line up at the egg station and order two eggs per child. Plus two for me and two for Serene. So that's two times nine. The guy has to make 18 eggs for me. Do not line up after me. So I thought I'll give you a picture about, you know, this guy at the egg station. And, you know, of course, when you come up there, uh, you step up to him, he'll ask, how would you like your eggs to be done, right? You know? And you've got different preferences. It could be scrambled, it can be over easy, sunny side up, okay? Hard boiled, half boiled, whatever it is. And finally, after waiting, especially behind my family, you get your eggs and you sit down to your breakfast and there your eggs are there. And you eat that and if you love eggs, it's heavenly, isn't it? And that's what a blessing. And we say, makarios. We declare, oh, how nice to have these eggs. But as we look at the eggs that we enjoy, let me declare a truth for you. Do you know eggs have to be broken first before they can be enjoyed? Right? The eggs will, I mean, they look nice and we, we, we usually carry them and we're so careful because it's fragile, you don't want to break them. But the truth is, if you don't break them, you don't get to enjoy it. There's no blessing if it's just contained within the egg. The eggs need to be broken first. It's almost like, you know, you, you, you need to have a, a label that is there that says, break first. The eggs have to be broken first before you can enjoy the blessing. And so last week, I invited you up Mount Makarios. If you have not listened to that teaching, you know, it's up already on our SoundCloud. And I pray that introduction would have been helpful for you to understand uh, Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. But this week, I'm going to invite you to the kingdom's prestigious breakfast club. Welcome to the breakfast club. And just in case you're wondering, is this prestigious club for everyone? You know, today there's a trend that is fast catching on, I understand. You know, executives are so busy, everyone all over the place, that they have no more time for meetings. They hold breakfast meetings. They call it the power breakfast. So you get together maybe at 7 o'clock, and they don't hold their meetings in traditional boardrooms. They actually bring you to, uh, or they invite you to a hotel, uh, you know, a nice fine dining place, and you enjoy the breakfast, and then the top executives and the businessmen will meet over that meal so that they can uh, strike a deal, or they can sort of bond across breakfast. Maybe some of you understand what I'm talking about, right? And not everyone is invited to this kind of a breakfast club, you see. Only the rich, only the powerful, only the people who matter. And if you are invited, it means that 
you are worth something. They want to have breakfast with you because they want to have a deal from you or there's something that they can hand over to you or you can hand over to them. If you're invited, you have made it and you are blessed. But can I tell you that the kingdom is always upside down? That's how the world sees blessedness, the power, the prestige. And the last thing the world wants is the way Jesus describes and presents blessedness. And he uses this one word called brokenness. Brokenness. The world will have nothing to do with this. Their, their breakfast clubs are different from the breakfast, breakfast club that I'm inviting you to. Tonight, we're going to talk about brokenness. And we know the scripture that Jesus used, just one verse. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This week and next week and the following weeks, you know what I'm going to be preaching. You know the text. One verse per week and we're going to unpack it. But tonight we're talking about brokenness. But let's do a quick review as we jump into this one verse. Remember that when Jesus shared about the Beatitudes, the Makarios, and He invites us out up this mountain, we get into this lift and we find that the only buttons are B1, B2, B3, all the way to B8. We go down the basement to get up Mount Makarios. And this very first Beatitude, you need to start there first. It's basement one. Because the way up for the kingdom is down. You say, okay, fine. I, I don't really like this down image. Let me just cater to us this evening. Let's look at it another way. Why do we go up? Right? And this beatitude can also be seen as the very first rung of a ladder that you have to step upon this first rung before you can move up to the others. This is critical to understand this very first verse. This very first beatitude will be important for us. It is what we call, like it is a foundational beatitude where you need to lay this attribute and get this correct to understand it fully because the others will be built upon this as a superstructure. And as I go through this evening's teaching with you, I pray that it becomes clearer and more apparent to us that we want a clear revelation to, to have a good grasp of this so that when we understand this and we keep coming back to this, what Jesus is saying is, you are laying the right foundation. You're opening the right doors. You're entering into what we have about understanding kingdom blessedness. If breakfast is the most important meal of the day, then can I suggest to you that brokenness is the most important trait that ushers us into the fullness of kingdom blessedness. But just in case you think when Jesus comes onto this scene and He's declaring something new, I want you to know this is not a new concept. But it's only something that has been already mentioned before. It's rooted in the Old Testament and Jesus was only affirming it. Remember, the Old Testament and the New Testament, they are both related. Today, many people would just want to look at the Old Testament and, or rather look at the New Testament and throw away and discard the Old Testament because of this misnomer called the Old Covenant and we just chop the entire section off. It's not new. This concept is not new of brokenness or being poor in spirit. There are many verses, but let me just pull out a couple to share with you. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 1. And you know that this is that passage where Jesus, when He came out of the wilderness, he, went, he goes into the synagogue and He declares this, right? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, and so on and so forth. The Messiah's task, one of his assignments as he would come onto, you know, the, to break into the lives of Israel, 
is that he will be anointed and he's, he's sent to a particular group, the poor. These are the people who are broken. If we look at the word poor, we tend to think of financial you know, uh, uh, depravity. And in a way, yes, that's true. Because when someone is not having the means to survive, the spirit is easily broken to a point. And so in the Old Testament, it's already been proclaimed that these people, they have a special place in the heart of God. When the Messiah comes, He is the one that's going to look out for these people first. And that's why perhaps the very first beatitude is worded as such, Blessed are the poor in spirit. There's another verse we see in Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15. For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and a humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. These are just different words to describe the same thing of brokenness. God who lives high in the heavens. He's the lofty one. He is the one who transcends time. He is the, the, the almighty God. And yet he declares that he dwells with those with a contrite and a humble spirit. And that's why when Jesus says, Oh, you know, uh, 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 blessed are those who are poor in spirit because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He's not saying anything new. He's declaring something that has already been there. King David himself, in Psalm 51, verse 17, and everybody knows Psalm 51, that it is a psalm of repentance. That he came to a point of realization, of acknowledgement of how he had sinned against God. His spirit was broken. You understand? He came to a point to understand that, you know, although he was king, that he was still, you know, a weak and he would fall and he would still disappoint his God. And he says this, look, it's not about giving more things. It's not about doing more things. It's not about killing more bulls and more cows and more goats. He says the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. This is what God is after. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. You will not turn it away. So I suppose, you know, if you want to paraphrase Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Perhaps Jesus was declaring this. Oh, the blessedness of brokenness. For to these belong the kingdom of heaven. How many of us would declare this over ourselves? How many of us would really look at this one statement, you know? And you know, whatever we might have gone through or are going through, or you know, when it happens to us, if it happens to us, will we stand up and declare, Oh, the blessedness of brokenness. I don't see any hands going up. And yet this is what Jesus is saying. So I want to learn. I want to understand what this means. So let's look at this phrase, poor in spirit. What does it really mean? What does it refer to? Literally, when we look at this word poor, it means what it says, poor. A poor, helpless person. And usually it's used to describe a beggar. Someone who is desperate for something. He needs something. He's needful. So this person is lowly, Needy, desperate, distressed perhaps. It's not that he doesn't want to work. I mean, he's, he's very willing to put in a day's job. You know, today you've got professional beggars. I'm not talking about the professional beggar. Huh? I'm talking about someone who is willing to put in that time and that strength, but somehow he's not able to, or he's not given the opportunity to. In fact, he's oppressed. He's afflicted. Someone looks at him and kicks him out and pushes him away and that he comes to a point of helplessness, of desperation in a material sense. And that's why he's got no choice but to beg. But we have the other word, poor in spirit. And so if we put the two together and have this phrase, poor in spirit, it just means someone spiritually understanding his poverty. 
You're, you're spiritually low, empty, bankrupt, in other words. You're spiritually needy. Spiritually, we are desperate and spiritually, we are helpless. I know in our day, in our context, you know, when you look at something like that, you say, well, not a pretty picture, leh. You know, like, like, who would pay any attention to this kind of people? There's a phrase we use, like, these are like the, the scum of the earth. Why waste time with these? And even worse, some of us, we could even be so quick to look at these and say, they must have sinned. You see, no faith. That's why like that. They are not obedient. They are naughty. That's why no blessing. They are weak. They are useless. They deserve it. Don't put your hands up. But have we not thought about that sometimes? Yes or no? And there are categories of people who might be like that, where they, 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 they are lazy, they are unrighteous, you know, and they have what's coming to them. But I don't think that's the group of people that Jesus is talking about. But the point is, we lump them all together and we look and say, who has any time for such people? And that's where the scriptures, you know, let me give you two more. It really surprises us. In Psalm 34 verse 18, if a person understands his plight, he's desperate, he's helpless, he's crying out, he's poor, he's needy, he's bankrupt in itself, he's broken. Psalm 34, 18 says this, the Lord is near to those. The Lord is near to those. I mean, can you believe this? This is the scriptures. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. How amazing this is. Here we are saying, you know, we won't give these guys a time of day. We won't even give them a second glance. And the Bible tells us the Lord is near to such. Isaiah 66 verse 1 and 2 in a different way that when we have read in Isaiah 57. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. Where is this house that you will build me? Where is the place of my rest? For all those things my hand has made. All those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one will I look. On him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. Can you see how beautiful scripture is? Here is God. Heaven is my throne. Earth is my footstool. Whatever you want to give to me, all the wonderful big things. Hello, I made them all. You can't impress me with all those things. But what catches his attention? A poor and a broken spirit. Can you see this? A poor and a broken spirit. And Artie Kendall says it in this way. He says, in brokenness, we get God's attention. In brokenness, somehow, we get God's attention. And in brokenness, God also gets our attention. Isn't that beautiful? And that's why we can look at this one verse and slowly learn to embrace this and declare, Oh, the blessedness of brokenness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That when we are broken to that point of desperation, of understanding who we truly are, we are crying out and it gets God's attention. Is this giving you a hint and a clue? How many of you say that, you know, oh, I pray, you know, but I can't hear God, you know. I pray, you know, but I never see anything, you know. I learn a Christian life, you know. Maybe brokenness is the key. Maybe we haven't come to a point of a desperation where we cry out. Perhaps we are still too full of ourselves. Maybe we're just so full of, of churchianity, you know, of religiosity, you know, of intellectual understanding. I know it all already. Why do I need to cry out to God? But Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for this is the kingdom of heaven. You know, it's scary because when we look at Revelation chapter 3, verse 17, and Revelation chapter 3 Onwards, you must understand that there's a church there called the Laodicean Church. And this church is labeled as a lukewarm church. And I declare over and over again, please don't think of someone who's lukewarm as a backslider. Because 
Jesus didn't describe the church to say that you're backslidden. Jesus looked at this church and said, look guys, I know your works. You're doing a lot of things. But there's a problem with the way you are doing things. And he declares, you're lukewarm. I'm almost ready to spew you out of my mouth. It's a terrible tasting thing and I want to vomit. He gives a reason. Because you say, I am rich. I've become wealthy and I've need of nothing. Now, is that brokenness, friends? That's not. It's not brokenness at all. They don't recognize their true condition. And Jesus has to say this, and you do not know that you are wretched, you are miserable, you are poor, you are blind, you are naked. And Jesus is saying, look, I'm saying this to you. If it breaks your heart, good. If it breaks that bubble you have over you, good. If it breaks that pride that you hold all over yourself, good. Because it's only when you realize your true condition that you realize we need God. Oh, the blessedness, the blessedness of brokenness. And that is when we begin to realize the kingdom of heaven. You know, we can talk all day about this. But I want to bring a parallel for us that would be perhaps more real for us to identify with. You know, in life, we all start out very idealistic, isn't it? I'm not sure whether you have ever gone through that, but I have been young before. I suppose you have been young before too. And when we are young, we are full of energy, we are full of zest, we are full of ideas, we are full of dreams, isn't it? And today, we want to encourage those. We want to help these aspirations grow. We, we don't want to kill these things. It's good to have all these things. But the, the flip side about that is what I call youthful enthusiasm often is coupled with youthful pride. And we don't realize this because perhaps we don't yet have the maturity to identify it or to realize it. And you, we usually start out in life full of Self-sufficiency. I can do anything. I have no problem. I won't die. I'm fit. I'm energetic. I've got all these things. And our ego and pride is there. But is it not true that as we go through life, these are the things we encounter. The pressures of life come upon us. The cares of this world overtake us. As Christians... We want to overcome the power of sin. And that has been done in, through, in and through the cross by the Holy Spirit. But it takes us a while to come to an understanding. And along the way, we struggle with sin. Anyone been there? Yeah? We struggle with sin. We, we have expectations and we have mis-expectations. And, you know, oppressions come against us. People hit out at us. You know, we, we endure certain afflictions in, in different ways. We get into relationships of all levels and we are hurt and we are disappointed. The bitterness comes in. Challenges come year after year, week after week, you know, day after day. We begin to understand trials and tribulations. We make mistakes. You know, we, we commit failures and then as we go on we realize our body is not really that strong sickness comes on disease is there oh that's the fastest one I can tell you right when it really hits us and then as we go through life some people experience this earlier some a little bit later emptiness sets in right why am I working so hard for you know what, what, what does it mean and uh, we, we're asking a question that has been asked and answered years ago in the book of Ecclesiastes. You know, it's meaningless, vanity upon vanity. If you don't get your focus right, you chase after all these things. And you come to a point, it's like, no meaning, leh. you know, why am I doing this kind of stuff? You make decisions, you have bad decisions, you suffer the consequences, you can't change the past, you're trying to get forward. There's a sense of helplessness and a sense of hopelessness. Now, if you look very sad now, we come to that end of that road. And sometimes we cry out, those, those who are stubborn, we're like, God, why are you allowed it? Yeah, He wants you to get to that end of that road. Some will just hold on to that rope and not let go. Right? Just holding on for dear life. Refuse to let go. 
all of us would have enough experience at a certain point in time to have experienced a certain brokenness. My question is, do we realize that? Do we realize that? Because along the way, I can tell you that we are influenced by the world and we are affected by the world. We chase after the way the world defines blessedness, is it not? We're chasing after riches, money, fame, power, success, beauty, forever young. Today, the best products that sell, cosmetic industry, billions of dollars. Not only that, the healthcare industry is getting into the cosmetic industry. If you take this, you'll look younger and younger, you'll become younger. Really? You believe that? Go read the Bible. You have not read the Bible if you are trusting in those things. And you'll one day come to brokenness and come to the end of the rope. And we play into the enemy's strategy. We play into the enemy's field. Because he knows that if he can keep your eyes on these things, and you think that you can always, once you have these things, you don't have to depend on anyone that you are strong and you are good and that you are blessed of God, then your eyes will never really be upon God. And if you are not broken, then you will never experience the blessedness of brokenness. You will miss the blessings of the kingdom of heaven. Amen? This is what it is. And life has a way of revealing who we truly, truly are. It's a question of when we accept that. Life's conditions would expose the real you very fast. My question for each and every one of us is this. What would it take for you to realize you are really nothing and you have really nothing apart from God? What would it take for you to realize that you and I, we all need a Savior to bail us out of this nonsense once and for all? What will it take for us to realize that we really do need just not just a Savior, we need a King to rule and reign over us because the way we run our lives, terrible. Can I hear an Amen. We're in good company, you understand? I run my life terribly, and if you are honest, you would run your life terribly too, if not for the king and the ways of the kingdom. See, the point where we come to that realization that we need God, that point of brokenness is the point when salvation takes place. Amen? That's what it is. And that's why this, this beatitude is so foundational. It's the very first thing. That's how you even enter into the first rung or the first base of whatever God wants for you. Salvation. Do you know those who are in desperation and have a great need and call on the name of Jesus and are saved? I submit to you, these guys immediately become better Christians than those of us who have grown up in the church. Why? Because they understand what it means to be saved. But if we say a prayer and hope that God will bless us after that, then we don't understand what salvation is. We don't understand the rulership of a king. We have not given over our lives to him. That's why this beatitude is so important for us to understand. Because is it not true that you and I, after, can I whack, huh? after that we climb up, huh? the brokenness no more, right? Pride comes up again. And we have to come back to this one point to say, okay, Lord, show me again. Remind me, keep me at this place because this is the foundation upon which everything is going to be laid on. Dallas Willard has a nice saying. If you know Dallas Willard, he's a great writer. He has since passed on. Sometimes his writings are a little bit hard to understand because he's philosophical. He's an apologist also, but he writes beautifully. He has this thing to say about the end of the rope. God's address is at the end of your rope. You want to find God? You want to know His address? It's at the end of your rope. And so if I were to write a letter to God, I want to know His address. This is how it might look. God, kingdom of heaven. <laughs> kingdom of heaven. I mean, that's, this is His entire kingdom. That's where He lives. Maybe no postal code. Lah. 
your postal code will be your favourite verse reference. For me at the moment, it's 1111. God's address is at the end of your rope. Why? Because when you come to that point, it is a point of brokenness. And those who are poor in spirit, broken in their hearts, humble, contrite, we find God. We touch God. Because God looks out. He's all ready for you to say, help. And you'll say, that's what Scripture says. The Lord is near. See, if you understand this, you have a different perspective of whatever trial you are going through, is it not? Because in, at, at times, when we're going through a difficult moment, it's like, oh God, where are you? He's there. <laughs> it's our perspective that needs to change. You understand? That when we go through this, Lord, I know you are here somewhere, and you know, I'm going to enter into this blessedness of learning from this entire situation. Because this is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, when we do a teaching about being poor and being poor in spirit, then there's always this counter question. What about material wealth and prosperity? Is, do you think Jesus is just trying to tell us that you shouldn't have money? And so someone would just look at this phrase uh, or Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. And the two words they like to underline is in spirit. Jesus didn't say poor. Jesus said in spirit. Now, I tell you, you talk to certain Christians, this, the first line of defense is always that. And so what has emerged is this thing called the prosperity gospel. There's a huge debate, does God want you to be rich? Or maybe if you want to ask it in our context for tonight's lesson, does God want you to be poor? So when they look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, the Sermon on the Mount, I think they're looking at only half the picture. So because I'm unpacking this one verse for you, I need to show you the other half of the picture. And we see that there's another record of this sermon. Some commentators say that it's the same sermon, recorded by two different people. Some believe that it is two different times where Jesus preached the same thing. But if we look at Luke chapter 6, verse 20, Jesus was very clear here. Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. How many of you underlined this verse in your Bible? Memorized it, highlighted, quoted, posted on Facebook? Don't have right. Because nobody likes this verse. He said, no, 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 no. If you look at Matthew, it says, in spirit. So I think Luke or maybe fell asleep that day. And, and in the first place, Luke wasn't even there yet. Right? He was recording from what he understood. So maybe in his interview, he left out two words, in spirit. But if you go down in Luke chapter 6, verse 24, a few verses down, he says, but woe to you who are rich. Now, tell me that Jesus wasn't talking about material wealth. He was. It says, for you have received your consolation. You enjoy all these things now. You have all your comforts. You have all the things. If you consider this blessed, okay, that's your consolation. Done. But let me declare to you in the kingdom, blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. See, in those days... And today has not changed. There is a direct correlation between your wealth and your blessedness. So if I do a survey here, the one who has the highest salary is the most blessed in this place. The one who has the lowest salary or no salary, I pray for you. You're very putty. Right? Another indicator, the one who has the biggest house, the one who has the most car, the one who has got stocks and shares all over the world. Now, that one is not very safe nowadays, huh, by the way. That's the way they saw it, right? Because they understood that because you are poor, it's because you have not come into an understanding to unlock the blessedness. 
Jesus comes and he says, you guys got it upside down. You're focusing on the wrong things. You're looking at the wrong indicators. And I would desire for us, for myself, for all of us here, to really catch this. Because all over in different churches, this is being emphasized. Am I correct? This is being emphasized. And it sounds attractive because it plays to our heart. It plays to what we really want. That's what we look at. So let's see what Jesus actually says and what the Bible says to us. I believe that Jesus is not saying riches is wrong. But he says, be careful. Be warned of the tendencies that come with wealth. The first is that the moment you have something and it begins to grow and amass, you tend to shift your trust to the riches and not God. And you can't let this go. In Mark chapter 10, verses 23 to 25, everybody knows about the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life, right? So Jesus tested him on the Old Testament, on the law. He says, everything I've done, no problem, man. I score A. Now Jesus then says, okay, fine, you sell everything you have and come follow me. And he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. Now, was he pious? Yes, he was. Was he dutiful? Yes, he was. Did he attend church? I suppose he did. Did he lead cell group? Probably. Did he tithe? Yes, he did. On all counts. And yet, when Jesus says, follow me, he couldn't. Now, would that speak to us? Verse 23, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words because to them it was like, man, I thought they were blessed. I thought they got first place in the kingdom. But Jesus answered again and said to them, children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches. You see, he qualifies that. It's not about you being rich. It's about you trusting in the riches. And once you trust in the riches, your trust is no more on God. And you miss the kingdom. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, you can debate with me. We can have coffee. We can, we can fight about this. You know, oh, it was pre-cross, you know, again. Huh? That's why they couldn't enter. Jesus didn't give the hint yet. You wait for me to die. Just believe me. Can go already. Well, we, can, we can argue to the cows come home. I'm going to Scripture. This is what Jesus said. I'm holding on to His words. I don't make up these words. The second tendency is to be deceived by riches. In the parable of the soils, Jesus explains in verse 22 of chapter 13, Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world coupled with the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. The deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. I hope you know this by now. Fruitfulness is a kingdom indicator, you understand? We've said this many, many times. Jesus will always use a term of fruitfulness. And so a rich person will hear the word, be drawn away by the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. Because you, this guy would will, will, will listen to the word and say, oh, I'm rich, so I guess, I'm, I guess I must be doing the right thing. I'm good soil. Yeah. Oh, I, I'm rich, so I'm, I'm, see, God's blessing me. I mean, look at that. Isn't that cool? What's wrong with you, oh man of little faith? Oh, I'm all right. And he's just deceiving himself, you understand, through the riches. If you keep looking at your riches as an indicator, it's scary, my friends, because you don't know when you cross that line. But today we speak of blessings in that way, that if you get a promotion and you get the double pay, oh, the Lord has blessed me. 
I'm not saying he didn't, but I'm saying you better be careful. What are you looking at? Oh, the Lord has given me. I used to live in this shanty. You know, and then I went to an HDV house and now I've got, you know, a condominium and today I've got a landed property and, you know, I've got now properties in this country and that country. Oh, I'm so blessed. Now you be careful with that statement because what you're saying is that I'm not blessed. And I disagree vehemently. <laughs> Amen? That's not the indicator, you understand? There's a tendency to be tempted and then be ensnared by the riches. This is in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 19. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Anyone desiring to be rich here? I'm sure there are in our midst. There's something within us that craves for that. And that's why before this, Paul is saying to Timothy, godliness with contentment is great gain. What's godliness? Right? It's a pursuing after God and everything about the kingdom of God. But if your understanding of the kingdom of God is wrong, then you pursue the wrong things. And after that, then Paul then says, you, man of God, flee these things. And the weird thing is that we in the church today, we are pursuing these things. And we wonder why we are having a problem. And I'll stand here as a chief culprit and say, Lord, you help me first. And I've got a good excuse because I have a larger than normal family. I need it more than anyone here. And I can be deceived by that rationale too. I'm thankful for what I have by His grace. But don't fall into this trap because riches will ensnare you. It will trap you. It will hold you. And you'll find it's very hard to break out of that. Very hard. You talk to any person in a materialistic type of country, it's very hard. Someone who has a call to go into full-time ministry, I've spoken to many in the past. What's the one biggest question they have to ask first? How to provide, huh? how to survive, huh? where's the money coming from? It's a very logical question, very natural question. I ask that and many people ask that. Why? Because somehow there is a snare upon us. And the more we have, the harder it is to let go. How do we experience the blessedness then? of the brokenness, if we think that that is the only thing that we go for. There's another tendency is that the rich become proud and become haughty. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty. Command them. Tell them not to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. And so if you have more, praise the Lord. Enjoy it. But don't look at what you have and let it be an item of pride where you hold up, you know, and you say your, your spiritual pride begins to be there. And sometimes we can have false modesty and say, oh, we boast in the Lord because He has blessed me with much. Really, I tell you, it's deceitful. I'm not pointing a finger at you. I know because I've done it. I know because I struggle with it myself too. But don't think lowly of me after this. I'm being real with you so that the Lord can break me in front of you. You understand? I'd rather confess it and open this up because I still struggle with maybe at a different level. I'm at a different point of my journey, right? But the Lord is saying, don't look at the wrong indicators. Material wealth and prosperity is a worldly indicator. They're not kingdom indicators. Not at all. They do not indicate success and blessedness in the way the world defines it. So I want to give you some handles. Because 
perhaps contextually, we, we live in this world that's materialistic. Everything is revolving around the dollar sign. And there's a nice hit song last time that says, money makes the world go round. Or ABBA if you prefer, money, money, money. Everyone is looking at this, and today all eyes are trained even on this. So let's look at some handles for us to hold on to. And I call this the, the, the Breakfast Club Alignment Check. Is that okay? Because along the way, we will veer. Along the way, the, the riches of this world, the enticement of this world will, will pull us. And you will shift our alignment every so often. And we've got to look at this alignment check. And that's why I love this Sermon on the Mount now that I understand that Jesus used the Beatitudes as His text. He says, look, this is the text. You get this right, you begin to understand the rest of the sermon. Don't pull out the rest of the sermon bit by bit because you are seeing it upside down. It's wrong. You're putting the cart before the horse. So if you understand that now, then later on he teaches this and we will get to that soon enough. But tonight is just a quick overview and by the time I get there, you know, we can unpack that a lot more. See, he gets into Matthew chapter 6 after he defines what righteousness, true righteousness is and what prayer and fasting is all about. And in Matthew chapter 6, in verse 21, he's saying, look, what do you consider your treasure? This is your alignment check, my friends. What are treasures to you? How do you define treasure? And you can't answer this question until you understand Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. A kingdom beatitude, a blessedness is, is for that brokenness within us. And if riches is something that holds us back, then we've got a wrong treasure. So he clarifies where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Now do you understand why it's so hard to awaken someone and even after they are awakened, it's so hard to align someone and even as they're trying to get aligned, many will not reach their assignment. Because where their treasure is, that's where their heart is. You can't shift that until God breaks them. The second thing is, what is your worldview? I use that word because it's common to us now. But that's that passage in verse um, 22 and 23 that Jesus says, the lamb of the body is the eye. And so it depends on if you have a good eye, then whatever you're seeing you know, will, will, will be good in that. You'll, you'll let in the right things. But if your eye is bad, oh, even if the light that is there, how, how great is the darkness? You know, can you see the opposite? There's a light, but actually it's a darkness. It's like, duh. You know what's Jesus trying to say? He's trying to, to exaggerate something for us. You know, in Hokkien, we have this phrase, right, you know? Have you heard this before? You know what it means? Let me give you an explanation. Oh, this eye is bad, this eye is bad. It refers to someone who's going shopping and walking around in the mall. You know, the moment they see something, oh, I got to buy this. Oh, I got oh, I, oh, I to buy that. Oh, oh, that's a good deal. You know, it's 15% off. I got to buy that. And they buy and they buy it. Oh, God, my eye is very bad because everything I see, I want to buy. It's got a bad eye. What's your worldview? If you don't have a kingdom worldview, then you won't understand the treasures of the kingdom. You will never accept the blessedness that Jesus is trying to give to us. The third thing you question you have to ask, and Jesus asks is, whom do you serve? Whom do you serve? No one can serve two masters, he says. It's either God or it's mammon. And mammon is the, is the God of the material wealth in those days, right? And there's a spirit of mammon. Today, we will not blame everything on the Spirit. Can we just, don't bother about the Spirit first and just acknowledge, God, I need you to deliver me. Stop blaming every spirit out there. It's our weakness. Can we acknowledge that and be broken and say, God, I need you. That's when salvation comes. That's when the kingdom of heaven breaks in. You will either be loyal to one and be disloyal to another or the other way around. Whom do you serve? And you have to constantly ask this. Constantly ask this. 
You know, when we're doing a faith ministry, this is something that, that, that bugs me over and over again because on one hand, we're saying we're living by faith, you know, and we will offer this, you know, so that people can, can receive it freely. And that this other voice that's behind is like, but you must pay your bills, you know, but you need the money, you know. You know? And my question is, Lord, who do I serve, you know? If I want to walk a kingdom way, oh God, you help me because it's tough. I don't understand this. And yet it's not tough because it's the Holy Spirit that enables us. I cannot do this by my own effort. Are you hearing me? And this is what we will wrestle with over and over and over again. And that's why Jesus, you check the alignment. Whom do you serve? Whom do you serve? Is it really God? Then he asks the next question. Are you a chronic warrior? Now, Jesus didn't say it in those words, right? But today, everything is chronic. We've come to a stage where it has exploded at such an extreme that when the, when the doctors tell you it's chronic, when they tell you it's chronic, it means that I don't know what else to do with you already. Something like that, right? It's reached to that point. It's chronic. I don't know what's the cause. I, I can't, so you have chronic pain. It means like you just feel pain. Huh? I don't know where it's coming from. We've tried everything. We've gone through all the tests. It's chronic. So Jesus is saying, are you a chronic warrior? Everything you worry, here worry, there worry, chita worry, there worry. I think I should do an altar call right now. <laughs> now, it's very natural to worry, am I right? That's why I use this word chronic worrying. That we have come to a point where we just worry. And Jesus is saying, look, you've got your eyes on the wrong thing, you see? Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. You're clamoring after the wrong things. And that's why at the end, he gives a statement of conclusion. But I ask you in a question way, what is your focus? And what did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33? Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And so let me ask you, where can we find the kingdom of God? You want to seek it, right? You must at least look somewhere, right? You must at least have some bearings. You don't want to seek it in the wrong place. You want to get the address of God correct somewhere there so that you can drive in a general direction and head to the right place. And Jesus says, let me tell you where the kingdom of God is found. You want to seek it? Oh, the blessedness of brokenness. Can you see how upside down this, this whole thing is? And that's why it's so hard for us to embrace it. Say, so seek the kingdom. Get to a time that if you are broken, that's a good place because that's where the kingdom of God is. Seek for that. Don't seek after the riches. And the, here comes the paradox, right? He's saying if you will seek after that and even come to a point of brokenness and even to a point of poverty, whether physical, financial, or spiritual, in that brokenness, all things will be added unto you. That's the kingdom of God. And we look at it, it's like, yeah, it's so clear inside there. How come I missed it? We are looking for possessions. We are going to possess this. Today in Christian terms, let's possess the land or let's possess the kingdom. You know what we are thinking of? We are possessing bank accounts. We are possessing businesses. We are possessing this. Am I right? We are thinking, the moment we say, let's possess, that's what we are thinking about. But I submit to you, you want to possess the fullness of the kingdom, you first get possessed by the king. You have the king, you have the king. That's a Sermon on the Mount. And it starts with one verse. Foundational, pivotal. And I confess, I skip those verses a lot. I don't like the sound of it. I don't like to read it too much. And yet I'm reminded as I teach and as I'm learning that that is structural foundation. And my eyes are being opened over and over again. And I pray that it's blessing you and helping you, provoking you perhaps, but it's for good because the promise is the kingdom of God. Let me bring this to a close. 
You know, when we walk into a shop selling crystal, glass, ceramic, you know, have you been into those? Especially gift shops. And you look at these things, beautiful, and you, oh, you want to handle it, you want to look at it, right? And then there's this sign that is prominently displayed, right? Nice to see, nice to hold. Once broken, considered so. And so if you break this, you're, you're, you're literally forced to buy it. It's a little bit like life, isn't it? I mean, we're, we're trying to keep life all together. We want to make it as beautiful as, 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 as it can be. This is how we think it, sh- it should look like. If we should accidentally drop it or crack it, you know, then it's considered broken and I have to pay for it. And it, it, don't, don't you understand? Life sometimes seems like that, right? I have to pay for, literally pay for my consequences. But if you look at this picture and if it's broken, this vase that I, I, I've displayed there, the question is, who in his right mind would want to buy a broken item. So we try to keep life nice, uh, you know, try to make it as beautiful. But the thing, the truth is, as I've shared with you in the earlier part, is that life has its way of getting to us. There will be many experiences, there will be many people who will come and they will break us. And our problem is that if we are broken or not, we think, oh dear, that's it. You know, my life is over. It's mud. It's broken. It's chipped. Nobody wants us. Or so we think. But here's a promise. There is one who is ready and willing to make that purchase. There's one who's willing to look at this brokenness because the Bible tells us to those who are broken, to those who are poor in spirit, to those who are humble and of a contrite heart, the Lord is near. His eyes fall upon them. You see, and that's our state, friends, that when we first came to the Lord, that's what we are. And He purchases us and He buys it. And not only, He doesn't say, you know, can you give me a discount? This thing is broken. He says, no, I'll pay in full. And He paid with His blood. Amen? And this is the value of our salvation, my friends. This is what it's all about. The church of God, which He purchased with His own blood. The Holy Spirit has been given to us that there's a guarantee of the redemption of the purchased possession. We have been purchased. We are God's possession. We are no longer our own. And I pray that that will become clear for all of us. Because so often we say it, but we still live our own lives. And so what is true brokenness? As we close with this, we know that we don't want to be prideful, always self-sufficient. But can I share with you that at the same time, brokenness is, is or to be poor in spirit doesn't mean that you, you bring yourself always to grovel. Don't swing to the other extreme after tonight. No? Oh, the next time you go to pray to God, oh God, I need you, please help me. You know? That's a wrong understanding. It's not for you to grovel, to have a sense of no worth at all, that you have demeaning and you're condemning yourself. You swing to the other extreme, you've got a big problem. Big problem. Because as much as I can control you for the material and the wealth side on this extreme and being proud and you know, motivate you with this kind of talk, if you swing to the other extreme, as a leader, I can also have control over people who have no say over their own lives. See, this is a good picture of what true brokenness is. It's a broken vessel. True brokenness is, is when we arrive at a point where we have an accurate picture of who we are. Not an overly inflated one, not a totally deflated one, but an accurate picture of who we are. Here comes the paradox that apart from Christ, we are truly nothing. And yet in Christ, we are everything. That's the paradox. That's why Jesus used this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. By ourselves, we are nothing without Christ. But with Christ and in Christ, we are everything. And Paul uses this kind of a picture to depict this, you know, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. 
that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. It's not about us. We are earthen vessels and cracked pots, if you like to talk about that. Broken to an extent. And yet we carry within us the power of God, the kingdom of heaven. And we don't just get broken one time and we say, okay, fine, you know. Here comes another paradox. We are constantly broken and yet preserved whole. Anyone confused so far? See, this is the kingdom. We are constantly broken. Anyone need more breaking? We are constantly broken and yet preserved whole. So Paul says in verse 8 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. And once we begin to understand, Paul shows that picture that he, he knew his brokenness well, and yet his desire in that brokenness was the fullness of Christ. But in that brokenness, and when the fullness is poured in, that there's, there's no way he can contain it. Out of what he has received, he will constantly be poured out for others. Isn't that amazing? Right? That we are broken and yet we are full, and a broken vessel can never contain what is full. It will always release. So he goes on the next verse. He says, For we live, we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh, so then death is working in us, but life in you. Isn't that beautiful, friends? But you see, we will miss this if all we are thinking about, about kingdom blessedness is, what's in it for me? Then we'll always say, no, 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 I, I want it like that. Huh? I just bought a new basket of eggs, don't break anything. Fragile. Handle with care. And this is the problem of our world today. You preach something hard, no one wants to listen to you anymore. You talk about sin, they're not attending your church anymore. But you sayang them, you motivate them, you cajole them, they'll be there. They are eggs. Cannot be broken. Cannot be broken. But that's not the way of the kingdom. That's not the way of the kingdom. Oh, the blessedness of brokenness. For this is the kingdom of heaven. And so my friends, may I welcome you once again to the breakfast club. Eggs look nice, look fresh, but they need to be broken before the blessing is fully experienced. May I invite everyone to breakfast tomorrow? <laughs> Let's pray. Father, I thank you for Scripture. Because Lord, Scripture is holy, Scripture is good, Scripture reveals who you are. And Lord, we come before you asking your forgiveness. That often, Lord, we skim over things. And especially the parts that we don't like, we don't dwell upon them. But Lord, like you say, Lord, your scripture, your word is worth more than gold. And so tonight I pray that you would have shown us, Lord, a glimpse of what that precious, precious word is all about. And that, Lord, we will yield to you. Help us, Lord, to understand kingdom ways. Help us, Lord, to be strong by your grace with the Holy Spirit, prompted all the time, Lord, not to be distracted by the things of the world. And Lord, protect us, Lord, because the church is filled with such doctrine today. And we love it because it appeals to us. But this evening, Lord, show us brokenness once more so that we can understand how to live for you, how we can go through trials and tribulations, the challenges of life, the things that are thrown against us. If we hold this perspective, Ours is the kingdom of heaven. And so, Lord, as we close, I pray a quick prayer for anyone here who is going through a very difficult moment. That you have been broken or are being broken 
by something, someone, in one way or another, if that is you, will you receive the grace of God? Can I say to you that there's no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus? Can I say to you lovingly also that if it has been a consequence of your bad action or bad decision, just come to the Lord, acknowledge it and say, Lord, I'm sorry, help me. And do you know something? He is near to help you because that's what the Word says. A humble and a contrite heart, He will never turn away. I pray for these who are here, Lord. I pray for those who are also listening to this recording. You too, as you hear this, if you would turn and return to the Lord, yours is the kingdom of heaven too. And so we thank you once again, Lord. Thank you for your grace. Thank you, Lord. We don't do this by our self-effort. We thank you that the Holy Spirit empowers us, Lord. And so be with us, lead us, that we can experience this in fullness that as we continue to be broken, it will flow out of ourselves, our cracks as it were, that others can be blessed. And so we thank you, we praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.